You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Accounted For Everyone. Happy Wednesday and Happy New Year as well. This is the first podcast episode for 2020, I believe it should be. (laughs) And as it is 2020, I would definitely love to ask all of you very humbly with hat in hand uh, to help the podcast grow by telling a good friend of yours or friends, if you have many, who may be thinking about taking an unconventional career journey of their own or they've already decided to do it and you think listening to all these fascinating stories being shared with my guests could be of value to them in ways of support, inspiration, guidance, whatnot. It's a great way for you to look great as a good friend, but also a way to help that individual go on their own journey and also grow the platform as well. And it's a win-win-win for everyone. So that would be really appreciated on behalf of myself. And if you want to be more involved in the community, definitely check out my weekly newsletter at omdventures.com and that's how you can stay in the loop on my journey where I exclusively just talk about what happens on a week-to-week basis on the newsletter and also share everything, the podcast, the essays, the uh, things I learned in the week, newsletter, all that stuff. And so yeah, check it all out at omdventures.com. And now to the actual conversation. Today's conversation is with Jim Ellie. Jim is a powerlifting coach and marketing manager of Reactive Training Systems. I'm going to call it RTS from now on. RTS is an online coaching company that leverages its founder, Mike Teixeira's method of auto-regulated strength training. And they've trained multiple world champion powerlifters in the process. After reading about Mike's work and following some of RTS's world-level powerlifters, I personally signed up to work with RTS for the last few years as I rehabbed back from my own knee surgery and wanted to get into competitive shape once again and become stronger than I was before. But today's conversation isn't about my journey with RTS, but actually about my coach Jim's journey. And we go through Jim's journey of setting up his own online coaching practice prior to RTS, how he dealt with imposter syndrome as a business major who became a powerlifting coach, how he moved from running his own coaching company to join RTS, which was his dream company, dream team company as well at the time, and the entrepreneurial journey of being a remote online powerlifting coach and how it's not as always glamorous as it may sound. And so we go into all the nitty gritty details on that as well. So for those of you who are non-health science folks but are passionate in sports and helping others this may actually be right up your alley but even if you aren't um, it'll still be a story that can inspire you to find the thing you love and do whatever it takes to make it work because that's what Jim has done for himself and so without further ado here's my conversation with Jim Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Today in the podcast, I'm joined by Jim Ellie. Hey Jim, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey Dan, thanks for having me. <laughs> Jim here is the powerlifting coach and marketing manager at Reactive Training Systems. 
And so, Jim, for the audience members who may not be familiar with reactive training systems and specifically people who may not be familiar with the world of powerlifting, to keep that as a caveat, how would you explain what the company does? So reactive training systems is at its core an online powerlifting coaching company. Uh, our, Our primary function as a company is to strengthen aspiring powerlifters and kind of maximize their abilities as lifters um, through intelligent programming and and coaching design Uh, but then we're also an educational a powerlifting educational platform uh, company where we also want to teach as many coaches as we can and share the knowledge and experiences that we've kind of gathered over I think this will be our 11th year as a company mm-hmm. um, founded by Mike Tushier, by the way, I'm, I'm not the founder of the company, but uh, I've been working with RTS for this will be my fifth or sixth year. Um, anyway, we, we coach and, and educate and, and share our experiences. And we've really gathered a lot over the last few years. Um, and, Actually, like right now, we're kind of launching the next quarter of the RTS classroom, which is our like staple educational platform. And then we have the, you know, coaching and uh, that's all year, all the time. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And so the caveat for the listeners is that, you know, Jim here uh, was my powerlifting coach and I've actually been part of the reactive training systems team as well. So just keep in mind, I might be a little biased in favor of like what, what he does and what the company does as well. Um, just as like a dis- disclaimer <laughs> in case people go that I'm too biased at some points. Um, but Jim, so where, where are we, uh, where are you interviewing out of right now? Like this is our first, uh, it's my first remote podcast interview and especially done so because, you know, you get to travel the world and coach and do everything really remotely. So I'm curious, where, where are you based out of right now? Yeah, so right now I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, it's where I grew up and where my family is from, um, which is funny because most of when I've been, you know, coaching and working with you, uh, literally any country in the world I could be in at any given time. Um, but that obviously gets a bit. It's fun for a while, but you know, especially as like a business focused person, like you start thinking about like how do you get a really established schedule and how do I design my life in a way that's really productive well if i'm traveling every week which for a while i was every week in a new place you know it's like geez i'm gonna stay here and be where my family is and then occasionally i'll travel instead of like having that be a thing yeah and you you mentioned how you know when when you have like a business you know a business mind a business background you you want you gravitate towards the desire for structure desire for systems um to be in place and so, yeah, like it, you know, for someone who's a powerlifting coach, you don't come from a kinesiology or health science background. You studied business at Ohio State University. Um, how did that? How did that go? And like, what what was the intention when you first went to university? Was it to just major in like some kind of business field and wear a suit or something? Yeah, no. So it's interesting because I mean, secretly, I was using college as a way to kind of redefine myself. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people do, you know, their parents are like, you're going to go to, you know, college and become a doctor or get, you know, become an engineer. And like, for me, the intention was like engineering at first. Um, I did pretty well in school. I had a preference for science and that, you know, math and 
Um, at least I was good at it, at least in the high school level and what it meant to be good in high school. And then, uh, you know, I started taking some engineering classes, but they, I did really well on like my, my test scores and I did well, well in like on paper, I looked like a premier candidate for like an honors course, an honors engineering course, um, or major really. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm so smart. Like I can do everything right away, right off the bat, just hit the ground running. But, uh, it's not like the same. It's not the same in college. And anyone that's been there knows that the way that they educate isn't about passing tests. They tend to, at least at Ohio state, and maybe I, I don't know, but especially in engineering, their intention is to get you to think, like think in a way that helps you with your job, not just, you know, you pass the test, good job. And I wasn't really ready for that at first. I, I wasn't ready for that when I was a freshman. I, I thought I could just do the same things that I was doing in high school to get by, you know, studying last second, uh, just cramming as much as I could. And like with engineering, once you get behind, you're you're not I mean you're screwed because everything is building on one uh, on top of each other so like I started this engineering class uh this honors engineering class and we were doing coding it was like the main thing was teaching you how to learn code but it was the honors course so they expect you to pick it up quick and then move on to the next coding language so like we started with excel like just basic excel functions I'm like oh this is hard and then like I I would like kind of get my handle on it you know maybe if there was a test on it, I'd get like a B, but then they would switch the, that week that I felt like kind of okay at it to the next language and like, cool, you got it. You've, you've perfected it. <laughs> I'm like, no, you know? And so then they're like, now we're doing CS or C, C, like C and then C plus. And is there a C plus plus? I don't know. Uh, I didn't do well. I <laughs> just, it hit me in the face. And, and on top of that, like that was really difficult for me. And on top of that, I was taking like honors physics and honors calculus. And I'm like, I'm good at these on their own once at a time, not all three courses that are like top level thinking all the time. Wasn't, it was so overwhelming actually. Cause it, yeah, it was just really, really overwhelming. And they, we're really encouraging that like, come on, you can do it. Like you, even though every sign is telling you that you shouldn't be in this course, they're like, no, come on, keep going. I'm like, I'm failing these tests. You know, I'm failing. Like, I, I don't think I can do this. Like, I mean, maybe I can, but like, there's more to this. Like if I get a, a average of a C minus in my courses, no, no one's going to hire me. Like this isn't going to be good. So I had to make like the tough decision. Uh, and so like first year, first semester, my ending GPA was a 1.5. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> it's like the worst ever. I mean, they're like, okay, if you want to major in engineering, you have a minimum of a 3.0 GPA. Like you need a 3.0 to have to elect into a major. So I got on academic probation <laughs> um, my first semester. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, not going to do that again because at best I have to get straight A's in all of those courses just to get my grade point average to a point where I'm not kicked out of school. <laughs> so my, in my mind, the only, I wasn't, I wasn't going to stay longer in school. That was never something I wanted to do. So I switched into um, a bunch of general electives for a while. And then I was like, well, what I, so first of all, the shift from engineering to general electives was like, I can't believe people are paying $20,000 a year for gen eds like or general electives like 
this is so simple. I mean, it's very like, just pass the test, just pass the test. And anyway, shifted out of that, figured out, I want to do some business stuff. Like that sounds like more exciting. And I think I can do well, uh, especially because most of my preference was being socially engaged with people. And that's why I think I was struggling in engineering because I wanted to be with the 60,000 students that were at school. I didn't want to be stuck in my room just studying engineering all day, you know? Um, so yeah, anyway, I started shifting into to kind of some more business stuff. And while I was taking easier courses, I was like, man, I'm, I'm a, I'm broke. Like I'm not making any money right now. And I hated feeling like I needed money from everyone. Like my parents, you know, they're really supportive and it's awesome. But I also wanted to start early becoming more financially independent. And I think the funniest, this is, so actually thinking about this, I have a, a, a funny story because I think the reason I got into business was because I got sucked into like almost sucked into a pyramid scheme because <laughs> they target me. Like I'm their ideal person. Like someone who's like struggling in school, doesn't know what their future is going to look like. Feels like they're going to fail. You know, all of a sudden there's this pyramid scheme that was going to get you BMWs, women and money. And I'm like, yeah, luckily my dad was like, I told my dad about it and he's like, Hey, um, so here's the thing that's a pyramid scheme you, there no one makes money you're an idiot and i'm like no i'm not an idiot I'll, i can do this and i was like willing to like invest so much time into potentially like scamming all my friends into buying my i think it was what do they sell energy drinks yeah i think it was energy drinks was it a herbalife or like amway or it was a v- vemo okay. vima vema vima okay not familiar with that one but i've been i've been approach for pyramid schemes before too <laughs> so yeah. i know exactly what you're talking about and it's like they, they the thing that was crazy was they allowed all these people on campus to like they like re- re- rented out these meeting rooms and so it makes it seem really legit and then at the same time they had this big conference in columbus where like all these people were like look at how awesome this product is and this business model is fail, fail proof you know <laughs> <laughs> so eventually i was like well this I kind of looked, I went to the meeting actually, and I looked around and I talked to the people and every single person there wasn't even attending Ohio State. There was like two people at OSU and the rest of them were like working at McDonald's and had no other options, at least in their mind. And like, this is like obviously a better option than McDonald's for them. It's $7 an hour. Like, why wouldn't you at least try? Whereas for me, I'm like, I think I can try something a little bit more that's in my lane. Um, and I was always into lifting since I was 12 and a lot of small businesses were starting up in the the realm of like online coaching for bodybuilding, just like nutrition coaching, powerlifting coaching was something that I started seeing. And I just kind of started to dip my feet in that area because if I could put all this mental focus on potentially a uh, pyramid scheme, what can I do with like what's what's online coaching what's that maybe i could do something you know in that area hmm. and what year was this when like coaching was getting bigger online around when was this uh it's 2013 2014 okay wow i mean it, it was slowly building in popularity probably 2012 yeah i don't know any powerlifting coaches that were well known i mean rts started in 2008 so i mean technically it was a thing but i think mike's 
I think RTS was like the first online powerlifting coaching company. Hmm. And so then for you, like you said, you started lifting at the age of 12. Like, were you competing in powerlifting as of then? Like, how did you get into it? Was it just um, an athletic family but, background? <laughs> uh, powerlifting wasn't something I knew about until I got to university. But when I was 12, my dad had a bench press in his, in our basement. And uh, I just remember like my dad was muscular and I was like, man, that's cool. Like he had like, I remember his pecs were big, you know, and then like, you, I don't know, people tend to admire some kind of figure. Um, and my dad was that person for me when I was younger and still today, but it's like, I want to be strong. Can I be strong? Like I'm 12, but can I lift weights? Like, what would that be like? And my dad was hesitant at first, you know, like the kid can, is going to get hurt. So luckily we only had a bench press and we had like a bow flex, mm. you know? So I, I was like, I can, he got comfortable pretty easily with me doing that. Cause we started light. We started with something easy and he was always spotting me. And then slowly, you know, year after year, I got stronger on bench and pull downs and, uh, you know, kind of that just progressed each year into me exploring and exploring, exploring new options of training. Um, and then, and so I was lifting pretty consistently like four or five days a week for since I was probably 15 like was when I started taking it seriously in terms of like okay I'm going to go to the gym with my parents as many times of the week as I can because I couldn't drive yet then I turned 16 I could drive I got got my license and I'm like sweet I'm going to go to the gym every day that I can you know if it's cardio if it's whatever I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to learn and I'm going to get big and I'm going to get jacked and you know, I'm going to get so many girls. <laughs> um, and, and then I went to like university with kind of that habit already in place. And I was already going to the gym four or five times a week in uni. And I was approached by the powerlifting club at Ohio state. And they were like, Hey man, have you ever considered powerlifting? Like I see you squatting and benching and deadlifting. That's what powerlifting is. <laughs> um, do you want to, you know, help volunteer? Like you can join our club. And I was like, yes, this is, I never had that in Minnesota. Like anytime I would train in Minnesota, all my friends are like, I hate training. I can't believe you do this for fun. Like I do this as a punishment when I don't do my sport correctly, you know, like their coach would make them go to the gym. And I'm like, that's the only thing I wanted to do. I wasn't super athletic. I'd always get hurt in track. I used to run track in high school and always have like hip flexor issues and it wasn't that fast. So I'm like, how would I just stay in the gym and be hurt you know I'm like, oh i'm hurt i can't run but i can leg press and squat no issues <laughs> you know so yeah anyway the people at ohio state were like let's get you in here and, and just kind of you can join the club you can come train with us and i really fell in love with that community that i had um to some degree you know but it was nice to have people to train with that were doing something similar that felt really foreign at least at the time like no one, there was five of us like 10 of us max for a while and uh i remember one time they're like okay so we have this competition uh we need your help at i'm like i don't know what that means what do you mean help and i'm like but yeah okay i'll do it and so they picked me up on like a saturday morning at like 4 30 a.m drove me down to this competition i didn't know i still didn't know what i was doing <laughs> and then they're like so you're gonna spot and load this competition i'm like okay, that's a lot of weight. Like these people were strong. And, uh, long story short, 
I did that thing, forgot about it kind of, you know, I was like, that's hard. I never want to do that again. I really hated spotting and loading, but I wanted to compete because I saw how strong they were. I'm like, I want to be this person walking up to the platform. Um, I really like this part of it. Then there was a YouTube video that Johnny Candido had. You know, Johnny Candido? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a guy that makes his the six-week Candido programs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So really big, like, YouTuber powerlifter. And uh, I was in his thumbnail. And someone showed me that I was in this thumbnail of this video that had like 30,000 views. And I was like, what am I doing there? Like, what, what is this? There's a YouTuber that does this that I am somehow connected to? <laughs> like, what? I was spotting him. Oh, um, really? In his, in his meet. And it was, I was in the thumbnail of this video. And I'm like, who's this Johnny? Like, because I remember when I was, I was at the meet, I remember this guy, Johnny. I remember his name. Uh, I, I remember what he looked like. I remember he walked on a platform and I thought his legs looked like tree trunks. And I'm like, how is this guy so thick? But he was like five foot six. You know, I, he is five foot six. And I'm I'm only five nine, but still like he was so wide <laughs> and small and just dense. Uh, but he's really smart. And like his YouTube videos are super informative and he's really funny and like quirky. And I just got sucked in even more because one, I had this weird connection to this famous YouTuber. Uh, and I was like, why is this guy famous? And do people care about this other than me? Like 30,000 people do. So anyway, that kind of started this like rapid evolution for me in powerlifting and wanting to get really good at it because that's just how I am. Once I find something that I like, I get pretty obsessed with it and want to share a shared with people like I, I usually get into things where I can express it around others um and powerlifting was that kind of next step for me and so how did you transition from there where you know now you're obsessed with powerlifting and then to eventually just becoming a powerlifting coach with you know Mike at the RTS team yeah so I mean like I said before I kind of decided like if I had all this energy for a multi-level marketing company I don't know what I'm going to do with that energy. It's not going to be an MLM. <laughs> I, want, I want to start a coaching company. Um, I've always been pretty good at teaching people how to lift because I would help my sister out. I'd help all my friends out whenever they came. Um, and I was really, I paid a lot of attention to like technique for myself. And I was always recording myself in the gym, which is really taboo for a while. Like everyone was like, what are you doing with that camera? That's true. Like back uh, in the day, like everyone thought you were weird. Like now I think it's normal yeah. now because, because of Instagram. But yeah, like, I remember back in like 2011, 2012, I'm taking a video and people are like, you can't do that. You can't take videos in here. Yeah. And I'm like, and I would always hide it, you know, and I get yelled at. And sometimes I'm like, well, I need to, I need to do this. Cause, cause the thing was, what I would do is I would send my videos to bodybuilding.com forums and have like my friends on bodybuilding.com look at my technique and tell me what to improve on. You know, I don't know who these guys are, but for whatever reason, I trusted them, you know? And, uh, and so then I became much more aware of like what kind of feedback is helpful because a bunch of people would give me feedback on my own lifts. And sometimes it was helpful. Sometimes it was actually like, it just made me feel bad, <laughs> you know? So that gave me really good insight at least on, okay, now how can I, what feedback is important to me? If it's important to me, it's probably important to other people that are looking for the same thing. Um, and so I'd go and help my sister and I'd help uh, friends who would like found me online. They'd send me videos of their squats and their lifts. And I'm like, this is what you need to do. You know, it was very one dimensional back then. Like, this is how things are done. 
um, classic Dunning-Kruger effect. But uh, yeah, and so then I was like, well, a lot of people started contacting me like in the gym and then online because I started posting about my lifting. And then I was also like, I want to capitalize on this now because I have a 1.5 GPA and I need to have a plan by the time I get out of college. And if I don't have a plan, I don't know what I'm going to do. And for whatever reason, this online coaching thing was screaming my name. So I started my own thing. Um, I called it High Fly Fitness. It was uh, mostly like a gen pop, like online coaching company that uh, I started slowly. You know, I, I hired a business coach who was going to help me with like, well, how do you monetize on stuff? I had no idea. No idea. How am I get, How do I get someone that I don't know from the internet to send me money for a thing that I do for free anyway? <laughs> you know? And I was like, well, uh, yeah, whatever. You know, I paid him. It was so cheap. I was paid him like 20 bucks a month and he helped me set up a website. He encouraged me to start making YouTube videos. He helped me get over a lot of those barriers that most people have with anything that they're starting out at because. I mean, obviously I was feeling like, man, who's going to pay me? Like, who, why would someone pay me money? Um, and like feeling like bad about asking and then like setting up a website. And then really the, the hardest part, I think at first for me was putting up YouTube videos because it's like, I sucked at it <laughs> like so bad. I mean, you can look at my channel. It's still up there. I kind of use it as like a, as like a reference so I can show people like my progression of the skill of making YouTube videos and. I'm still improving, but back then I watch them all the time. They're so horrible. It's cringy. Like I went to like a lake and I didn't have a microphone. So like it's in camera microphone and like there's planes going over the camera and it's like, it's at the lake. So it's really windy and like the you can hear the water and you can hear me and there's like people and it's like so bad, but that got me going. Like, and that's what my business coach at the time said, like, just start because you're going to suck anyway. You're not going to make, you don't make money right away anyway, but you're not going to ever make money. You're never going to turn this into a business if you can't jump that first hurdle. So I started just jumping through as many loops as I had to, or uh, hoops as I had to until, um, I got my first paying client, uh, the, the suggestion from my business coach was work with people for free until you get comfortable with what that experience is like. And then usually if you're doing a good job, those people recommend you to like one of their friends at least. And you know, if it's much easier to close on a warm lead than a cold lead. So I think my first lead was warm. And then I had a bunch of cold leads that I would actually like call uh, from Facebook groups just say like, Hey man, uh, I saw that you wanted a coach and I'm a coach. <laughs> so what do you want? For, what, what can I do for you? You know, stuff like that. Wow. And so you, I'm guessing these were like all like lifting oriented, like Facebook groups. So you just cold message people and you're like, Hey, I can help you out. <laughs> well, yeah. So it was really easy. Like, honestly, once I figured out what I needed to do, which was look like be active in the groups, send add value in these groups send uh, lifting videos of myself, uh, talk about things, respond to people's questions that they did have help with. Uh, and then eventually uh, in the comments of these threads, people would be like, I'm looking for a coach. Do you know any of them? 
And then they just saw that I was adding value and they didn't know I was the coach. So then I'd message them privately and say, Hey, I saw that you were looking for a coach. Um, uh, I'm a coach. (laughs) I actually do that. It's something that I do. Um, Do you want to hop on a, on a Skype call and we can talk about it. Wow. And how, how did you get over, um, you know, we talked about this earlier before we actually did did the recording on like the imposter syndrome, you know, you, you mentioned that with like the nutrition element, but you know, early on when you're actually trying to know, help people in terms of getting stronger and like coaching and strength training and like specifically even in powerlifting when you, you know, don't come from this like education background of health sciences. Like how did you get over that? And what, what was it like actually dealing with it in the beginning and how did you get over it? So, yeah, I mean, at first I had most of my imposter syndrome came at, at, in the beginning from like, what if people think I'm stupid? You know, what if people think I, the things I say are dumb? And a lot of the way I dealt with it was just talk about things that other people had already talked about and just use my own spin on it. And, you know, at the time I thought, man, I'm being so witty. You know, I'm such, I'm, these ideas are so original. <laughs> like, I'm so good at talking about these things. Um, so, like, for the YouTube focus, you know, the, there's imposter syndrome kind of every different aspect like there's imposter syndrome in youtube there's imposter syndrome in the actual coaching relationship and then there's like imposter syndrome uh for like different aspects so like with nutrition and, and training but i think the one i felt the most was putting myself out there on youtube when it came to working with with individuals i never worked with anyone that i didn't think i could help hmm. um it, it was like i'd already helped people like the people that i would reach out to and for a while that was kind of my game was I can't feel like I'm an imposter if I know I've helped other people like this and I've done it for free. And that's, I think what really helped me was I was helping people for free and they were responding really well. So I immediately got that positive feedback that I was good enough. Uh, I never felt like I needed to be the best because, and this is like one of the dark side aspects of, uh, uh, coaching is that there are a lot of bad, there's a lot of coaches that are bullshitting that are talking about things that they they shouldn't be and they're lying actively lying and they know they're lying and they're doing really well so for me i was like i'm not lying to anyone and even if i'm not the best i'm giving the information that i have available to me and doing the best that i can with it and i'm 18 i was 18 like the fact that some 45 year old wanted to work with me, uh, I didn't need to be more than I was. Like I just had to be professional. I just had to make sure I was listening to them and figuring out like, what is it that they actually need from me and how can I help them versus I need to make sure that they think I'm smart. Like I didn't, I just had to ask like, Hey, you're looking for the, you're the one looking for a coach. What is it that you need from me? And then if I can provide that close, if I can't provide it, I might, I would always have an option where I'd say, Hey, actually I'm not like, I'm not really into bodybuilding. Um, I haven't ever put someone through a show. Um, but one, we can work together and see how it goes. And my prices are pretty low. So usually that wasn't a big deal. Like I started at like my first client paid me $27 a month. So it's like, <laughs> I talk to him every day. Right. That's, there's enough of a, a, I have more leverage there if something goes wrong than I do if it's higher, you know, higher price point, at least internally, you know, so 
a lot of times I'd say like, look, I haven't worked with anyone in that way, but I think I can help you. Uh, if I can't, it doesn't go well. Here's an, another solution. Here's someone else I know that is really good. They charge a bit more, um, but you know, we have that option. So yeah, I think that's kind of the way I got over that. That part of the imposter syndrome is I never worked with anyone at first where I didn't think I could help them. Hmm. And how did how did you develop like your kind of strength philosophy in terms of how to develop training protocols and stuff? Because so my experience, you know, having been powerlifting for a long time, I have I constantly have friends right who come and ask me for, hey Dan, you know how to get stronger? What should I do? How should I start? And the way I've been, I usually just tell them programs I've done. I'll tell them, oh, I've done you know like the five by five starting strength for like two years. So how would you do that for two years or do like mad cows or like bill stars three by three for like two years. And these are just kind of like programs I just give to people as like, are you a medium level, beginner level, that kind of way. Um, how, how did you develop like your training philosophy or where did you do the thing where you kind of use someone else's program and use that as a backdrop to just slowly develop your stuff out? I think I did a lot of, of a lot of stealing in that I would take something that I knew to be work to, to work and then make it mine. It's, that's what I mean by stealing. Um, it's like, I don't borrow them. I don't borrow ideas. I steal them and make them mine. So with some, something like starting strength, okay, what are the problems a lot of people have with starting strength? It's too simple. Uh, you know, it's not a lot of variety. Okay, well, what would happen if I made it mine and then added some other exercises that might be better or might be, you know, more enjoyable for this individual that I'm working with? Um, what about some, you know, and I only do these with, with programs that I liked. And I, I'd never steal a structure that I thought was stupid, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that was an initial flaw of mine, to be fair, because now I, I, I do a lot of like, okay, w- w- this structure I don't like it doesn't really align with my values, but how can I take the bits from that, that would align? Um, but yeah, so I do a lot of that, like start from programs that would, that have shown results and then add them and kind of make a mine. The thing I always had problems with was how do I design a program for an athlete online and give them the tools that they need to progress without having them like depend on me to tell them exactly what weight to use. And, you know, one solution for that is like, well, you can write percentages so that they can just kind of plug and play for themselves. But I never, I never understood like, well, how do I know what percentage to use? And like, what if that's not, what if that's too hard for them that day? And, you know, what, how, how am I supposed to know that that's the thing to do? And so I was always struggling with that. And it's also really, really time intensive. And also I can only, I, I, I wanted to, add some, uh, make sure that the lifter felt competent in what they were doing as well. And that's when I found out about auto-regulation or like the concept of auto-regulation in that while you're in training, you can make decisions on fly based on how you're feeling and how you're actually performing, you know, with your warm up sets and with your, just some of that feedback. So I, YouTube was where I found it, you know, I found it on YouTube because the thing that's great about YouTube is that people are there to share as much as they can, because ultimately they have kind of a similar business model that I did when I started on Facebook, where they, they need to give you the value to show you that they have something to say and that they have authority. And Izzy Neveras from Powerlifting to Win 
had this huge long series of videos where he analyzed every single program that I'd ever heard of, plus some more programs. And I remember he did this review on reactive training systems, uh, general nine was like the nine week generalized intermediate program. And I'm like, man, that's a, he was ecstatic about it. He, I remember him saying like, it is the best program. Everything is perfect. Like everything about his program design and his tapering strategies and like all these principles are, are locked in. And I'm like, okay, this is a solution. Auto regulation sounds awesome. How do I turn, how do I steal that and make it mine? And he awesomely wrote a free ebook on auto regulation. And I was like, man, that's sweet. I know how to do everything now. Mike's <laughs> book on auto regulation, right? Well, the funny enough, he wrote his, Izzy wrote an ebook which basically was an advanced or like not even advanced. It was his own take on Mike's Mike's book, the reactive training manual. I didn't know that at the time. Cause I didn't read the reactive training manual. Cause I was $35 and Mizzy's was a free ebook on his website, but it didn't answer everything. And it didn't get all the, like it, it was a bit off. There's some aspects of it that were still, I was so confused about. And then I did buy the RTS training manual at some point And it seemed to just answer so many of these questions that philosophically I was like at a loss for it just, Oh, how do you, how do you coach people online? If you're not there in person, how do you get them to put the right weight on the bar? I never thought percentages made sense because I know that I'm not, I mean, I don't, I don't stick to a certain weight. When I went to the gym, I put what I wanted on the bar that felt good. Like that's always how I trained. I was never like, okay, today I must hit this weight or, you know, I, like what happens when I get hurt? You know, what if they don't have the equipment available it's in like a university gym and like at a lifetime, a lot of times we didn't have the, the the equipment to really load the bar in a way I wanted to, or maybe sometimes it felt more safe than others and I felt stronger than others. So anyway, eventually I evolved to that point where I'm like this RTS like training philosophy, it fit. It wasn't something where I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about it. It's, it's like, I was thinking about something like it, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I found that information. And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. There's no, this is my training philosophy. I just didn't even know it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then from, instead of stealing it and making it your own and going with your own company, you ended up deciding to join Mike and RJ. <laughs> yeah. So before we, before we talk about that, I'm curious, what what was did was there kind of like an inflection point while you were kind of growing your own coaching business where you it kind of hit you as this could actually be a career like this business degree I'm getting like this is just kind of happening but this coaching thing I'm doing while I'm getting this degree this thing might actually be a career <laughs> yeah so I had a lot of belief in myself early on because I figured if I can get on a Skype call and get someone to pay me money through a PayPal link like as an 18 year old, what I can't even, I'm so excited for me to have some age based authority, you know, like there, no one's gonna even know it's possible. I, I, I'm doing this. I was doing this daily, get on calls with 30 year olds, 40 year olds, like 25 year olds, whatever, just telling them that I'm a coach and then I can help them. And they're like, yeah, okay. Well, how much does it cost? That'll cost as much. And here's my link. And if you sign up right now, like we can get started, I'll get your program tomorrow. Like, I was like, this is going to be a business. I don't know if it'll sustain me. It needs to. This is the thing that's going to. I don't know how. 
Uh, I don't know how to make it sustainable. I know I can get the money, but do I have the time? So two years later, uh, two years of like doing my own thing was when I had like a, like you said, an inflection point where I'm like, okay, this is going to be my career, but my current business scheduling and my current processes, it's not going to be a career because I am strapped for time like crazy. I'm doing all this stuff that I'm, I'm not even sure is efficient. I have no feedback from anyone, but my clients, like there's no learning that's happening other than like my own blind judgment. And especially once I got over that, like initial point in the Dunning Kruger Kruger curve, you know, after I realized like, wait, there's more to this. There's a lot of, you know, higher level training ideas that would be really nice to kind of either develop on my own or learn from someone who already has. Uh, Because right now I have, I had like two years in, I had 15 clients, but like half of them weren't, were only paying me like 50 to 70 bucks a month. And I think I was making like 1500 bucks a month at that point, which for a college kid, I mean, I was working in my dorm room. Like I had money for what I needed and more. And I was like, okay, so 1500 bucks a month, I can afford rent. I had my own apartment. Like my parents weren't paying for it. Um, I was paying for everything pretty much other than no school. Uh, (laughs) and, And I was like, okay, I just need to make this better. So there's literally this point where I knew I needed to improve and there were two directions I was going to go in. I was either going to expand my company and add coaches and use like, not use, but like if I have more coaches who are really into this, they're younger, or like want to intern or they can, I can teach them my philosophy and then I can learn from theirs as they develop. That could be one way. Or I join the company that I'm certain I align with their values already. Like this is my philosophy anyway. Like there's nothing... I didn't disagree with like anything. It was like, yeah, that all makes sense intuitively and all, and I want to work for them if I could. And I remember I was reaching out to a lot of coaches and I was asking them if they wanted either to, to work with me, like younger kids, you know, basically people my age that were in powerlifting. And I had a, I had three people that were like, yeah, man, I'd love to help you. I'll, I'll join your Facebook group. I'll, as like an assistant coach, I'll intern. I'll, you know, I'd love to learn from you and, and take that opportunity. And uh, I was like, sweet. So I did that for a little bit. And then I still kind of doubted it. To, I, did, I wasn't confident in, in the growth of that. And I didn't really, I, I had two years, you know, at that point, I had two years left of college. And I needed to be making enough money to not only like sustain myself, but like live on my own and, and not make my parents think that I needed another job. Like I didn't want another job. I wanted this, only this to be my job. And I, I had only had one other job before that. And that was as a a caddy. Um, I carried golf bags for rich people. Right. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to work for a company. I I mean, I don't want to work for a corporation. I don't want to work for, I don't want to go to an office. Like I, there's zero chance I want to do that. That makes me want to like cry thinking about it. I have nightmares about it. (laughs) Uh, so that summer when I was, you know, I'd kind of been having a few coaches like learn from me and maintained all my clients, you know, I was like, man, I think I want to start working for another company and join their team and and have a bunch of experienced coaches that I can learn from instead of like having younger kids learn from me. Cause I don't know, I feel like that'll be better. I actually reached out to like seven different coaching companies. Cause at the time there were a few bodybuilding coaching companies that I really respected and 
two or three powerlifting coaching companies. Um, and I reached out to all of them and ex- except for RTS actually, cause I didn't think that was even a possibility. I mean, Mike's not super active on YouTube. He wasn't very active on Facebook. Uh, I'm like, nah, whatever. But I got rejected and a lot of people didn't even respond to me from the other companies. Um, and the ones who did said the only way I'd work for them is if I were to get a master's of exercise science, uh, like pursue a master's of exercise science. And I'm like, you want me to go to school for six more years just so I can work for your online coaching company? Like, no, I'll do my own thing. I'm already doing it. I mean, they just had a standard. Other people were actively lying about that because they wanted to like seem like exclusive which I found out later. But anyway, I got rejected by everyone. And I'm like, <clears throat> okay, this is the decision point. You know, am I gonna, am I gonna keep going? Or I'm gonna reach out to one more person. And I reached out to Mike at like, one in the morning in a, in a summer night before going into my third year of university. And I was like, I just remember, I remember I was typing the email and I'm like, I'm going to put full effort into this email. I'm going to make sure that he knows what's on the line. (laughs) So uh, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but is it cool if I keep going? Yeah, dude, keep going, man. (laughs) So I was, I was writing this email and I was like, what does he need to know about me? Cause this guy, Mike, I've seen him on Facebook. He's seen me post on Facebook. I, I added all these people in the fitness industry on my Facebook as like friends and we weren't friends yet, <laughs> but, uh, he is also just kind of more reserved online for, for a while. And, uh, but I know he'd seen me posting things and active. And anyway, I, I said something like, Hey Mike, uh, Jim Ellie here, you know, I've been, um, I've been reaching out to some coaching companies and no, I don't think I said that. That wouldn't have been good for me. I think I said, I'm an online powerlifting coach. I've been doing this for two and a half years. Um, It's pretty much what I want to do until I die. I don't know why, but that's what I want to do. I don't really have any other like plans to do anything else. Um, I've been, like I said, I have my own business. I have my own YouTube channel and I really think I can help your your company grow. Um, I, I can start out as an intern. I can do whatever it is that you need. If you need help with video, if you need help with like marketing, if you need help with Instagram, social media, whatever I can do that. The only thing I need from you is to learn. I want to learn. I want to grow and I want to become the best coach that I can be. And I'm going to do that with you or without you. And that's effectively how they worded the email. It's very much like, this is what's the situation. <laughs> Cause you know, I didn't have any other options. Like my parents were on my ass. I remember my mom was like, well, what if you put your energy into like this, you know, corporation? Like, I just feel like your energy is being wasted. And I was like, wasted? I'm working with people, <laughs> you know? I get to work with people every day that in their lives are, you know, in my mind, I think they're changing for the better. I'm not going to get that from a marketing agency, you know, like at least not directly. I won't get that personal validation. Um, maybe I'll get a raise from my boss, but then I'd be dependent on him for, you know, whether or not I'm doing well, like I want my clients to say, you're either need to improve or you're kicking ass because then I'll do it, <laughs> you know? Um, so then two weeks later, he emails me. Whoa, Mike Desheer just emailed me. <laughs> you had that celebrity moment. You're like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, like for anyone listening, it'd be like if Goldman, what's the, is it okay i'm gonna sound like an idiot uh who owns goldman sachs goldman sachs is that what it is yeah uh, the investment bank i think lloyd blankfein is still the uh ceo 
CEO. So yeah, be, yeah. in my mind, it was like if Lloyd Blank find is that his name? Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. But yeah, um, emailed me and was like, "Hey man, uh, you maybe can work for us." <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like you know, like holy crap. So he, so he said, I remember him, he said, um, "Hey Jim, thanks for messaging me. Um, I read through it and." I just want to say, like, I don't think I have an internship available, but I'm not necessarily rejecting your offer. I was like, wow, that was, that's ambiguous. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? <laughs> but he wasn't rejecting me. And that was huge in my mind. Like, he was just saying, I want to talk to you. Actually, he said, let's get on a call and talk about this more. I was like, I get to talk to Mike Deshear on the phone? <laughs> like, holy crap, you know? And uh, I was like, okay. And so funny enough, the actual initial call happened as I was moving back into college, the third, my third year. So it's my junior year of college. And uh, I remember I got on the phone with him and I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I was shaking and I had to really control myself and just, hey, hey, my, hey, man, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> hey, and I'm like, I like muted my phone. <laughs> I like muted my phone and I'm like hyperventilating. <laughs> And he's like, "Hey, Jim, uh, you know, good to see you. Good, good to talk to you." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you too." And he's like, "So, um, like, how are you doing?" And you know, we had a kind of a conversation. And then at some point, he was like, "So, before we kind of get into this, I'm one of the questions that I have for you is like, why are you interested in coaching? Like, what is it about coaching that makes you want to do it over anything else?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, obviously." I would be lying if I said it wasn't for the money. Like, at, you know, it, I wouldn't be doing it over everything else if it wasn't going to pay my bills. And I was like, it's not yet sustainable, but I think it can be. And, um, and I love it. And I love the validation from it. I love seeing results from the clients I'm working with. I love how it feels when they succeed at a competition or hit a PR in the gym. And like, genuinely, I mean, every bit of that as, as much as I almost mean that more now <laughs> because it's like it is my life it's everything in my life right now uh, but back then I t that's what I told him and um, I'm like yeah just up front I, I want both I, I like it for both and he's like okay it's pretty honest and understandable and I think he was kind of looking for that because I think a lot of people in that situation would be like you know I don't do it for the money I just just want you know results from people and I'm just altruistic as hell and whatever and I not purely altruistic, like obviously there's a benefit for, benefit for me. I'm very aware of the benefit, but in my mind, the benefits mutually, it's mutually beneficial for me and the lifter. Otherwise they wouldn't work with me anymore. Um, so anyway, he's like, okay, so sounds like, like he thought about that for a while. And I was like, is that good enough? You know, if I say the right thing. And he was like, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I think the first thing we need to do is get you a client and see, you know, see what you need to work on. And I'm like, wait, so like you want me to be a client, have a client? He's like, yeah, I just feel like an internship. I, I want you to be paid for your work. And I'm like, you're going to pay me? He's like, yeah, I, I don't like internships. I don't like free internships. I think it's like, I just don't think it makes sense because I want you to learn. And if I want to get the most out of you, you're going to probably want to be paid for it. I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Uh, what does that mean? He's like, well, I'll call you back in two days or something or like next week and we'll get like an NDA signed and, um, you know, we'll get, we'll get started. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> How did I do that? You Just know, like, like that. What? Wow. Yeah. I was, dude, honestly, it was like Christmas and 
in in September. I was like, oh my god, my life is changing. Uh, and then to be fair, like it's it's just crazy because there's no I don't know I didn't know at the moment like there's five people working for RTS. I'm 18. I was 19, turning 20 that month. And he's like, yeah, he, here's a shot. <laughs> you know, I'm like, imposter syndrome, let me tell you, it started to creep in quickly after that moment. Yeah, that's a, that's a big Cinderella moment there. Yeah, man, it's, it's crazy because I just, I don't know. It was like, I knew, I, I didn't have a reason. I didn't, it was like, why me? But also, i so happy. Like, I'm just so pumped to have this opportunity. And, that's when the real learning came from because now I'm representing a company. Now it's not about me and my brand because if my brand fails, it's on me and like, I don't have whatever it's, it's, it's no one else's hurt, but me. But now that I was having this opportunity to represent RTS, it was like, well, now I have to be careful about how do I put myself out there? Like I got to be careful about my message. And is it still in alignment with the company's message? Cause I didn't really know what it, I mean, I knew what the message was. That's why it worked so well was because it wasn't like I had a lot of like, uh, he, he didn't seem like I was getting pulled into the right lane. You know, it just seemed like he trusted that the lane I was in was, was one that would help the company already. And, you know, cause he'd obviously seen my, my, my posts and how I talk about training and stuff like that. So, but I still had that, that feeling of, uh, I don't want to mess this up and I don't want to make RTS look bad, but, I was really, I mean, I'm, I was super into expressing myself still. So I had, it was really difficult for a while because I was transitioning from being a business owner to a like intern status employee at this other company. I mean, it wasn't intern, but you know, basically just zero clients at that company. So it was weird. It was a weird transition for a while. Cause I had to like decide, like I had to try to get other clients that I was working with, if they wanted to stay with me, if they wanted to move to RTS and um and i had to figure out what my role was because instead of making content every day i just had to be a good coach and i was also editing the content that mike was already making because i was kind of part of the deal was i was i was going to help with the youtube channel and help it grow and i i created the instagram and um help that grow and i just had to be much more cautious and and think more like how would mike how would mike do this it was really weird because when i started man, you wouldn't want to work with me when I started. Well, maybe you would, but I wouldn't want to work with me because I was much more, what's, I think, uh, not polarizing, but ign- I don't know if in- ignorance is the word either, but I, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, com- and compared to how I feel about myself now, you know, and, and I was a lot more, like a lot more learning going on. And I was also much more emotional in terms of like how I responded to things. I was much more anxious about uh, like if someone got hurt, I remember, remember one day I was like driving somewhere. (laughs) I think I was like driving from my apartment to the gym and I got like this message from one of my clients and they felt some pain in their back and now it's an RTS client. Right. So I felt super responsible and I'm like, Oh God. So I, I remember I drove back home, adjusted their program like 15 minutes later with like a rehab protocol um, that they weren't even going to be able to do that day because they had already left. But in my mind, I'm like, I need to fix this. I need to fix it. I need to fix this. And I remember telling Mike and he's like, look, man, I appreciate 
how quick you are with this, but injury and rehab is not like speed doesn't necessarily mean improvement. Like, and the fact that you're anxious and showing it probably isn't going to help them feel calm about it. Cause if you're calm, then they're probably going to be more calm. If you're like, Oh crap, you know, I got to go back and fix all your, all your programming decision or your program for right now might make them feel like it's a worse, more severe issue. And, you know, anyway, the point is that everything became a bit more sensitive for a while. And I was less like laissez-faire, you know, laissez-faire or whatever, like just a bit more, a bit less blase, I guess, about myself because it, yeah, it was much more depend. It was, I had more of an influence. I was more influenced by RTS and I had a lot of reshaping of my personality to make sure it was going to fit in the long run. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned how, like, you know, right, even right now, you are the marketing manager for RTS. And you know, when you first started your coaching business, a lot of it, it seems like a lot of your time was actually also spent on building content, the YouTube side, constantly posting on like bodybuilding.com, the Facebook groups as well. How much of that do you think factored into Mike's decision of like bringing you on, like this, this completely different content side that isn't technically coaching but it was a huge part of like what you were also like building on the side as well i mean if i were to look at it right now knowing what i know um i think it was a huge ad for him because i was basically gonna be doing that work for free you know it was like he needed someone to edit the videos and mike is he's really you know he's really really creative um but the like the tech side of stuff uh in terms of like youtube and like for like getting 4k video and you know clear audio and all this stuff like it's valuable to him but his his thing is like some content is better than no content and i think my message my focus is more like good content is good content and it's going to require effort and time and uh, some annoyances sometimes and you know expenses in that direction and uh and i think it, i mean it's been paying off i think you know like in terms of where the the direction of the youtube channel has gone and like keeping up with the times because i mean mike was just uploading from his phone and you know doing like windows movie maker edits to post to youtube and you know it's like that could have probably gotten him i think it got him as far as it could have in terms of like once YouTube decided that it was only going to really show videos that were being watched for a long time, you know, you couldn't, we, you, I, we couldn't post a video like that and, and get any attraction. So I think for me to have that growing role was really, really valuable for him. Mm-hmm. And now that, you, you know, now that you've been a coach for, you know, with RTS for what, close, you said like six years ish, right? Well, I, I mean, it's weird because my mind has been like seven years, but I mean, I tell him that story that happened when I was 19, turned 20 that September and I'm 24 and, a, and six months now. Okay. So five years about. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, kind of, can you kind of share with my audience, like what, what the life of a coach is like, like what's, what does your week look like? What's your schedule like this week? this week to give to give people like a glimpse of what what a remote online coach does <laughs> well it's funny because i mean for a while it was i had much less of a role like i was a manager like i did marketing stuff but it was i didn't think about it much because it's like if mike doesn't really care that much i don't care that much and then i was like okay well well he was like hey i want you to do more like i want you i want you to be the marketing 
manager of the company. And that means that there's more responsibility on like getting leads and getting sales and getting, you know, people interested in our company and, and like more of the metric focused stuff. And if the metrics are good, like obviously he's happy. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if we're making money, he's happy, but I need to just get creative and make sure I was combining the like time I was investing into marketing and making sure it wasn't impacting like how, how well I'm doing with coaching. Cause I'll, at the end of the day, we're a coaching company first. So it took me a while. I mean, there was definitely a period where once I really transitioned into like video editing and, and prioritizing that, uh, I had to actually make a schedule because before I didn't have a schedule. I just did the same thing every day. And a lot of it was based on feel and it was a lot more reactionary. Like if someone messaged me and messaged them back and it was a lot more anxiety inducing, not knowing that I had a, like not, not having a schedule. And now, uh, I do have a schedule. I have a day, a days of the week have specific tasks. Um, and there's specific hours in which I coach and specific hours in which I'm like editing videos, for example. Mm. So like for, I don't know how specific you want me to get, (laughs) but I guess like an easy way. It's like, if let's say you were to like bucket percentage of time into like different activities. So, you know, like, I don't know, maybe like 30% of your time is, talking with clients and like 30% else is like programming and I don't know 20% is like editing like that kind of if I had gave you like that kind of framework how would you yeah bucket I would I would say coaching is 50% of my time um editing videos and like market development is 35% and then what do I have left 25% or 15% 15% yeah yeah I would say 15% is like actually making uh, building the programs because the thing is it it's a one one day of the week is where i'm like writing programs um the rest of that time is like making subtle modifications to like a unique lifter and i mean that takes depending like once i actually do it it only takes a few minutes so like time wise it only takes a few minutes but there's also that creative bit that require that's kind of included in like the, the coaching so the communicating with like the lifter like okay what's happening because I can't just make a quick decision um, if I don't have all the information. And and I think that's the thing I've learned the most is that, you know, let's say you have a problem and I might think, oh, if this is the problem, this, and then here's the solution. But I found that it's much more helpful and a little bit safer too, to make sure you ask a few more questions and help with that creative process. So yeah, that 50% of coaching is, is like a lot of relationship building, you know, getting on a call if needed, and then just kind of giving feedback and technique, uh, like technique feedback on, on a given lifter's session. Mm-hmm. And if you're to look back on the kind of key lessons you learned from your, you know, running your own coaching business and doing RTS uh, as well, what are some of the key lessons that, you know, you, if you were to start, let's say like a coaching business from scratch, like there was no RTS now, like this RTS doesn't exist. And, you know, for some odd reason, you have to start a business all over again and be a powerlifting coach. Well, what kind of lessons from the past would you use to like, I guess, accelerate the success of the coaching business? There's no other companies. You're just starting your own thing. Yeah. Um, I think there's a very tried and true practice here. And that is initial initiate your business by by providing value for a potential customer 
without asking for anything because that i mean that's gonna one tell yourself that you're comfortable with someone disagreeing with you you know you, you put out free information that means other people anyone publicly can see that this is what you think about something and uh, that can teach you a lot in terms of making your message good but then it also means that anyone can see you so if you're having issues with starting well you need eyes on you if you don't have any eyes on you it's hard to ask for money you know it's hard to ask for them to, to pay you something um and it's very difficult for them to see your value so establishing that like initial i'm going to i'm going to put put out content i'm going to talk about things that i care about and i'm going to see i'm going to show my pr prospective client what i can provide for them in a way that is from the heart you know i think a lot of people try to start and they're so scared of being wrong that they just say something that someone else said so i think i mean and i did that too when i first started and then it's like no one there's no traction because i wasn't providing actual help i was just kind of being a parrot and then once i really shifted into like this is actually the experiences that i've had these this thing about like nutrition has really helped me to lose five pounds it can probably help you or this is, and then eventually you get a client and now it's this thing has helped my client lose five pounds i think it can help you and then you can slowly build that uh you know authority in in a, in a given field and even if there isn't one that exists so like in a blue ocean you know like here's the thing that i think is valuable to people you can talk about it and then you can see is it valuable is it as valuable as i think and if you if you start out thinking i'm just going to start asking people for money you know it's going to be a lot harder just because there's going to be a lot more hurdles you'll have to jump through and unless you're like really good at sales i find that to be less appealing yeah that, so then do, do you find that or i guess like i'm i'm gonna guess that a lot of people come up to you and ask like hey jim how do i start a coaching business i want to be a powerlifting coach as well so would you say that that's along the lines of the advice that you give to those people like create content first like add value somehow yeah i mean like you said if it's like right now i think it's a bit more difficult because there are so many people but the thing is like you just need enough people to support you for your goals you know you don't have to be like when i started again i didn't have to be the best coach ever i just had to find someone who i could help that wanted help from me mm -hmm. and i think you know just start with I think the best way to grow is to think about what's slightly more difficult than what you're currently capable of. Um, Cause then that forces you to improve your skills and also forces you to ed educate yourself more so that you can tackle that thing. So like when I started, I was working with a lot of gen pop people and then I transitioned into like powerlifting. Well, what did I need to do to become a better powerlifting coach? I needed to start competing because I need to know what this experience is like so I can give feedback to lifters who are going to start working with me because i can't just be like yeah well powerlifting is kind of like this because i read about it on youtube or you know listen to it on youtube like i needed to have done it so um i initially put myself out there and then i competed a bunch of times early on until i got hurt all the time but i had like five competitions back to back to back and that helped a lot with experience and so like experience matters too knowledge is, is valuable but if you don't have experience applying that knowledge well who cares mm -hmm. you know and and the imposter syndrome thing is important too like i know plenty of capable 
more than capable people, but they're so afraid to put themselves out there that they just say no. Um, and so I think, again, one of those ways to get around it is help people and find people that you know you can help and um, that are like people that you've helped before. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, that's solid advice. And on the other side, like, you know, I think we talked about all the cool sides of coaching. What's some of the unglamorous parts of being a coach that you think people just completely, um, I guess, don't see? Uh, I think mostly like it's isolating. Uh, being an online coach or like an online business owner in general, I think can be very isolating because, yeah, I, I work for myself to some, I mean, for the most part, I mean, technically I work for Mike, but you know, my clients don't care what Mike thinks about what I'm doing. My clients care about what I'm doing, you know? So I have to set my own schedule. I have to compartmentalize a lot of things in my life. I, I don't know if it's any different than like a normal job, but I just know that at first it might feel like this super freeing job where you're just you know, on the beach working. <laughs> it's like, I've never been to a beach where they had Wi-Fi, <laughs> So like, you know, I need to spend all this money to get good Wi-Fi, And, you know, I got to spend money to get like the equipment that I need to make videos. I, I need to invest a lot of time, energy and resources into learning things that, you know, may or may not actually produce a result for me. And, so like on top of isolation, there is a lot more risk because everything you do, you have skin in the game. Whereas, you know, you kind of have skin in the game at like a bigger firm and that like you need to have a, a result. But I think there's also a lot more guidance and then that like, here's what we've done in the past that has worked. With like something like coaching, powerlifting, there's not many people who actually know what to do. Uh, a lot of it is is creative. A lot of it is sitting down, thinking that you're an idiot that this thing that you're going to come up with is like wild you know and and like you don't really have much support you just got to believe in yourself and like i love that part about it because when it does work you feel like you've actually helped and you've done something very personal with that person like i took my actual thoughts (laughs) taking the information I have, putting everything together, communicating with the lifter and making the best decision to, to, to help them with the information you have. And like, but that all is hidden with being alone (laughs) for a long time, you know, like just being in your room, uh, writing programs for, you know, hours and, you know, on top of that, like marketing, like marketing is, is valuable. You can't just rely on word of mouth. If you want to expand, like, yeah, you can rely on word of word of mouth if you want to get yourself better. But when you're working with other people, you got to be aware of what is the message that you're putting out for all the other coaches and the other people are part of the team. So, yeah, I think the isolation bit is probably like the the darkest part. And and if you don't have a schedule, um, you can really let it consume everything. So it's something I've been working on a lot uh, the last you know year or so is how can I have a bit more balance. Um, and save my mental health a little bit better than, you know, being in constant like anxiety, like being attached to your phone and thinking that every second that you don't spend on your phone is a dollar loss or something like that, you know? Yeah, no, I can definitely relate with that uh, sentiment for sure. Like, especially since I've been doing this remote thing for the last year or so. And um, yeah, like that aloneness is definitely real. And yeah, like it's, it's I find like it's, it's always tough for coaches where, like even when I study like strength literature, a lot of it's you know empirical, right? You it's just based on like you know 
if you're lucky, you get you know like 20 years of data from a certain number mm-hmm. of blisters. But a lot of times, it's like maybe one Olympic cycle for strength development or yeah. something like that. And so then, but when you have a coach, like you know, I've, I'm guilty of this too. Like when I worked with you like earlier on, when you know, I kind of just like you know, I just assume like he's you know, Jim's got to have the answers. He's got to know that this is going to work or not. But I think the reality is like nobody knows. It's just, you have to try a bunch of things and you think based on some development of like biology and all the stuff that it can translate to strength development. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, in that specific context, like that's the scariest thing is like, you know, these are the ideas I have and like, it's all on me, you know, like, mm. I, I mean, I'm at the point where I don't even believe a lot of other coaches because they talk with these certainties and it's like, you don't actually coach anyone. There's so many people in the field that are just throwing advice in the air and it makes it seem like, we have answers. It's like, we don't, we have ideas that we can test and that's it. Like there's no biological mechanism that we can currently prove to be the reason why you're getting stronger. And, and even if we did, there's some people that that won't work for. So it's like, I can try and I want to, and here's what I have about you, but like, there's almost endless permutations of what, what, what could work. And what if we don't do the right one in the right amount of time? And I'm like, Oh God, you know, so that, <laughs> that thought process can get pretty crazy. And, you know, there's ways we can kind of get closer to that, that target, but, you know, especially with people, you know, especially like in your situation, like the more variables that you have in your life that are potentially limiting what's going on, you know, like I don't work with a lot of business owners, but when I do, it's like, the stress of that thing is usually pretty high. So like managing the other side and, you know, like the, the best athletes are like athletes first always, you know, and it's like, they don't do anything else. <laughs> um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the people who always respond the best, but like there's so many variables even that I can't always control with like the program. Um, but it's, it's kind of what makes it fun. And you know, that if, if, if I had, if coaching got so simple that a machine could do it, then, you know, I'd be one, I'd be out of a job and two it would no longer be fun. But that's, what's great about it is that you're working with individuals with varying lives and lifestyles. And my job is to try to match that with the goals that they set out for themselves. And yeah, that's kind of the, that's the exciting part to kind of contrast it. Well, I think that might actually be a pretty great place to uh, leave this interview off at. Like, I think you kind of summed up the the great fulfillment of coaching just now. Um, yeah. But uh, Jim, before we like kind of close off, is there is there anything you wish we'd kind of touched upon um, that we didn't get to cover today? Um, I think I think that there are as much as there is that isolation to doing your own thing. Um, if, if you do your own thing and you start, start seeing success with it, there's so much more power in, like, I feel so much less anxiety about what I'm doing because even though, you know, powerlifting coaching might not be like saving the Amazon rainforest, it is one of the few things in my life where, you know, I am having a direct positive impact on others. And, you know, I talked about money all the time, but like, that isn't even, I mean, genuinely, that's, that's just, I'm just happy that people are uh, care about it enough, but if people didn't care about it, it wouldn't be worth it. You know, if, if, if people didn't care when they hit their next PR, 
um, then it would be like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, glad we're doing this. So it's like that, that emotional connection that I kind of developed with a lot of lifters. And then also the freedom that knowing I'm having a positive contribution on the, on the world, you know, not a lot of us have an opportunity to really add positive like energy or positive value. Um, and I think if we can all find that thing that makes us feel alive <laughs> and valuable, um, and not necessarily just elevating your own ego, but like, how can I help this person next to me? How can I help these people I'm working with? That's, that's where the true like freedom comes. It's not in working on a beach with your laptop because you're, you're, you're business own business owner, you know? Well said. That's a, that's a good way to put it. All right. Cool. Jim. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with myself and my listeners. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I had a had a blast. <laughs> All right, awesome. Take care. All right, thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It hopefully it also helped you expand your perspectives. Hopefully, it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had, and maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different maybe, challenging yourself, being courageous, who knows. But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform, really think about being a stakeholder in the platform and the quick way to do that is to go to my website oldmandan.com and go to the stakeholders page i believe it's oldmandan.com stakeholder and the link is also down below and that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe follow to get more updates on the free content but at the same time also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee that's just how i put it and you can buy me a coffee a month coffee a week or coffee every day of the year and think about it as the way that you know if you wanted to chat with me you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat you might buy them a coffee so i'm just think of it as i'm the service that's doing that for you so you can just pay me in coffees <laughs> don't worry uh everything will still be free it's just it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that i can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it all this is, isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further so your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute and so yeah just check out the website Go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder. All right. Thank you.